Ryan, Tony, and Chris We can't guarantee that you're gonna look great. But if you wanna stay in shape, well, you better hit the Chinwits. Chinwits. That's Welcome to the Jim Woods Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, a registered dietitian. And we are the Jim Woods. So, Tone, how is that your uh, raw tofu that you were eating plain? Stop, mm-hmm. don't tell anyone. <laughs> I actually don't mind it. Yeah, like, I kind of like tofu. R- r- I kind of like raw tofu with no seasoning, well, no well nothing. Well, that's the thing. Tofu doesn't really have a flavor. So, when you have it plain, it's like, you, it's just, it's plain and boring, but... That's that's, that was what I packed my my when you pack your lunch at like seven a.m. and it was not it was like way earlier than seven a.m. like five a.m. I had to be in the set in the city by seven a.m. Mm. Like I just threw whatever I had and I didn't well, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to heat anything up so I was like all right tofu sounds good yeah. thanks for not judging me <laughs> well, I would have cooked it for you if you wanted what I would have cooked it for you like, oh no <laughs> no no it's okay I'm a mean such tofu a, cooker I'm a, you, you I'm a plain Jane eater <laughs> literally I just like to get it over with like. Stop my hunger cue so I can focus on what I need to yeah. accomplish throughout the day. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, how was your um, your trip to Iceland? Fun. Too short. Yeah, yeah it always the, is, right? Yeah. My gear came in handy? Huh? Yeah, your gear, yeah. I borrowed Justin's, all Justin's cold weather gear, um, which was great because I saved me like 300 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it was, it was nice. I did, uh, did some horseback riding, uh, walked on the glacier. At one point... Um, you know, the, the the guide tells us like, you know, let's walk in a straight line. If I step somewhere, that means it's safe. And of course, I wasn't listening, so I walked a little bit to like the left, and I fell into a. Uh, well, it, it looked like it was just snow, and then I, all of a sudden, I'm waist deep in snow because I fell into a crevasse, and they had to help me out, which I thought was hilarious. My first instinct though was to get my wife to take a picture, but she didn't. So you know, instead of being afraid that I'd like fall deeper and they'd have to rescue me, I'm like, oh, I get a picture of me like being stuck in the middle of the snow. Um, nice. So it's like. Funny, because you'd think you'd be embarrassed, but I was just like, oh, cool. Like, just yeah, stuck here in snow. with the flow. Uh, no, it was cool. Yeah. I didn't see the Northern Lights, which sucks, because uh, that's the suck. whole reason why I went in the winter. Otherwise, I would have just gone in, in decent weather. Uh, so now next year, we're going to go to Finland and attempt to see the Northern Lights again. So nice. <laughs> it'll be like a yearly thing until we see the Northern <laughs> Lights. Yeah, I was down in, um, in Florida, and it was nice for the most part. Uh, I was on one trip, and we were straight up almost... Basically, if if you look to where that that door is, uh, Ryan, that's how close we were to some gators. Oh, really? So that was pretty where? cool. Uh, down in in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Were they interested in you at all? <laughs> no, they were just chilling. They were just doing their thing. Okay. So um. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, they, they say like you, you're like girlfriend on was land. freaking out because she's like so scared, and then she was like looking up all these videos of like alligator attacks and like yeah. when. Alligators like jump on the ship, and yeah. you know it happens. It doesn't happen all that often. Generally, when they feel threatened or something like that, but most of the time they just want to chill. And oh no! Because okay, so you're on a boat. Yes. Oh we were on yeah, a boat. yeah. Oh yeah. That's not scary. They're not. They're not going to do anything. Not until they do. Even something. on land, like as you, you can outrun a gator. So like that, if you that's go not sideways. true. They run. It, huh? That's what they hear. Side, you're side supposed to, side. to run. Yeah. Oh. They can run like thirty miles an hour. No, like, you're wrong. Fast. On no, land, no. On land, no. You're wrong. You're wrong. On land, okay. They can swim pretty fast. They can swim fast, but on land, like. Any of us can outrun a gator, like really? Yeah. Well, maybe you can. No, no. You know, you can you can outrun a gator. You're if you, supposed to if run you can side walk to fast. side, right? They, I didn't. They I've never heard that. They're not able. They're to, not that's, able I mean, to that makes gator. sense. But I think that just in a straight line, like you can beat a gator. Like you don't even have to do the side to side. You can just, you can just find straight. out if you want. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so um, I, I have a, a modern gripe. 
and uh, I guess we, we always enjoy talking about this sort of stuff. And it's just it's dealing with tons and tons of payments. Not the uh, you know besides the fact that yeah you have to you pay money for everything you have to spend on everything. That's not what I'm actually referring to. But it's just keeping up with payments and 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 things like that. How many subscriptions do you have? Yeah. Utility bills, credit cards, health insurance, this that. Yeah. And it's like I, I like I was so I, I I'm pretty diligent with looking. For through my credit cards or debit my bank account, and then like you see what's uh, you know sorry, you know you, you see things that you're paying for. It's like oh yeah that's right now I, I've been paying for this for eight months so that's twenty dollars a month. All right so that's that right. Then I get something in the mail for my health insurance that's something that looked like it changed. So I was like wait a minute do I have to take care of that now? Like then I got a, a notice saying that your your uh, auto insurance is about to expire. And I was like, oh, man, now i got to pay $400 for that. And I thought that I had already paid for that, but I didn't. So how do you guys like dealing with like just modern living in that sense where you just have to be very diligent? And then you like freak out. Oh, did I miss a payment? I'm going to get hit with a $35 late fee. It's going to mess up my credit, like stuff like that. Like, you know what? You guys feel my pain, right? Yeah, I mean, but I have most things on automatic. Cool. So, yeah. What with the automatic, like things change. Yeah, like, you get they like you get a uh, message saying your credit. You know, yeah. you're now be your credit status is now this, and n- this is how your new card is going to work. What I, and your health insurance, like now these are your new plan. Like it's, so, it's, I think a couple things. Happening. So what I like to do, I, I keep a running list of all my bills because I've had three instances in the last couple of years of credit card fraud. And so each no time way. that happens, you have to, you, you have to, you know, you change your credit card. You got to give you a new number, and that's annoying because you got like thirty different things you're paying for. What's annoying is there's so many random things that I feel like every month I'm getting hit with like, oh, it's time to renew this website or it's time to renew that thing. Um, so on top of all like the monthly bills, you've got all these random things like, like I just got charged for the domain for the gym wits, and so it's like all these things that will come up every year. Um, but then what's worse is this trend um, with software and some with some apps. Um, like there's some like especially with 3D, you know, like I've talked before, I do like 3D printing and modeling and stuff. And a lot of the newer 3D scanning and some of the 3D printing software, they're switched from the model of like you just buy the software. Like I'd rather just pay a hundred bucks for the software to a model of like you just pay a monthly subscription, which really sucks because it's like, you know, it's just annoying because over the course of like you know years, you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on something that ordinarily would have maybe cost you 30 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. Um, and so that I'm finding really annoying is like, or like there's a couple of apps, like the new iPhone has some pretty cool functionality where it can do 3D scanning. So a couple of the apps, you know, I'd rather just outright buy, but instead of letting you outright buy the app, they want you to pay like five bucks a month. And it's like, no, I don't want to pay five bucks a month. I just want to buy the app. Like I'll pay 50 bucks for the app. Just give me the app. But I don't want to spend, you know, this regular fee for something. So I find that that's annoying. And then, yeah, you get like with all the TV stuff between Netflix and HBO Go. And then, you know, there's a Disney app, which I'm going to have to get. And then CBS All Access. And like, it's just, we're going to be, we're going to go back to the Napster days where just everybody's just going to start illegally streaming and downloading Mm. stuff because there's just too many avenues to, to have to buy. It's like all, like, I think we're getting what we, you know, I think there was a time where cable kind of dominated everything. So it's like, you know, one size fits all. But now we kind of have the a la carte options. And it's like annoying because I don't. Careful what you wish for, right? Absolutely. 
So, uh, all right, you, uh, what do we have on the agenda for today? Oh, well, okay, so before we can do the interview, we got a couple of interesting studies. They're both nutrition-related, so it's good that we have uh, nice. Tony here because she can weigh in a little bit. Oh, great. I've so, never heard these before, so we'll yeah, see yeah, so if I can like, answer that. So, so this one, yeah, no, and just, I mean, more uh, with all these, you know, with any study, it's like you can never say one study is the be-all to end-all, so we kind of just, we do our own, like, okay, what does this say? What can we learn from it? And, you know, etc. So um, this one, it looked at the vegan versus the Mediterranean diet. Um, mm. So this might you know, anger some people or not. Uh, so it was a pilot study from uh, Sheffield Hallam University. Um, it involved 24 people, so a pretty small group, um, 18 to 35. Um, and they split them into two groups. So there was the 12 people that were doing Mediterranean and 12 people that were doing the vegan. And there was no control. So this is a very basic study. And very small. Yeah, very small. Very small. So... Um, are you sure that it was a study and not a dinner party? <laughs> yes, it was a study. So the um, so just so you know, Mediterranean diet is um, kind of is you know kind of a balanced diet um, that promotes using you know lots of vegetables, fruits, fruits and vegetables, oily fish, olive oil, red wine, lean meats, nuts, um, and a lot of kind of low fat dairy products. So I think like no processed foods. Yeah, so, is like so it's not like yeah, so it's that. not vegan, but it but otherwise is considered to be one of the healthier quote unquote diets. Um, and so what they found was that short term, um, and again, this is a, sh a short study, but that it, there were short term benefits um, for the Mediterranean diets. So basically, they found that there was increased nitric oxide um, in veins and arteries, which helped to maintain good cardiovascular health um, and also potentially can help the aging process. Um, they found that the vegan diet did reduce cholesterol more, um, but there was a reduction in ma uh, mic uh, micronutrients, including B12 and iodine. Um, despite supplementation. So the people on the, vi on the uh, vegan diet actually did supplement with B B12 and iodine, but despite the supplementation, they still found that there was a reduction in those micronutrients. So again, very basic preliminary study, um, but I wanted to, sh I showed this to my stepson who's like hardcore, like he's like a, you know, he's hardcore vegan, like in your face, you know, yells at everybody for not eating vegan. Um, and then he's like, oh, it's the healthiest diet in the world. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, you know, I'm sure it's healthier than like a typical American diet. But um, but again, preliminary. But it's I, in a way, it's I don't know. What do you think? It's not really saying anything that we don't already know. Right. Right. Well, first of all, there's many ways to be healthy. So you can have healthy vegan diets and you can have non-healthy vegan diets because it depends on what's in it. So based off of the study, we're going to just assume that it was a balanced vegan diet yeah. is like a balanced mediterranean diet both of which have been shown to be effective for prevention or treatment of cardiovascular disease um the mediterranean diet continues to have more studies to support it in that mm. aspect and the vegan diet yes we we know um is deficient you will someone who consumes a vegan diet is going to be eventually be deficient in vitamin b12 so cool. yeah yeah yeah, so nothing we didn't already know. Um, but see vegans, it's not the healthiest diet. No, I'm just messing around. Um, all right, and all the right, second there one. there we go. The yeah. hate mail is No, I'm joking. Uh, I'm kidding. No, no, Please, I want no I hate mail. No, I don't want hate mail. <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're pro everything. No, no, Ryan, he told me earlier before the show started, he is anti The best diet is the diet you can <laughs> stick to. <laughs> Fair. Well, then, then, but then some people... And might, balanced. Uh, I'll, I'll shut up. Um, all right, so the second one is... Um, uh, from JAMA International Medicine, uh, and or it was published in JAMA Inter International. Oh my God, I'm still waking up. Um, JAMA Internal Medicine. Sorry. Um, and so basically, it's on ultra processed foods. Again, really not telling us anything we don't know. But that ultra processed foods have a much higher uh, death risk. So this study involved uh, 44. Is there another tier to processed food? There's like ultra soup. Do you have like super processed, <laughs> ultra processed? Yeah. 
well, ultimate pot you know, we're, in this case we're looking at things like kind of kind of like lean cuisines and stuff that you you know frozen foods that you kind of can pull out of the um you know, out of the refrigerator is that what um, was on listed yeah, under it yeah so this one involved though 44,000 um people 45 and older over the course of two years and um what they found is was for every 10 percent increased risk in um consumption was it correlated with a 14 percent increased risk of mortality um so you know, pretty significant now it was a it was a survey and so obviously there's you know a lot more needed but you know the question then from this based on this is then you know why is it that um processed foods have this effect is it the chemicals in the you know is it the chemicals is it the heating process is it the added salt or additives is it the packaging because there's a lot of problems with the actual plastics and um and uh you know and, and molecules from the actual plastics themselves getting into the food um is it the high temperature processing so that kind of the question then becomes okay we know processed foods or ultra processed foods are unhealthy um, or lead to a higher death risk why is that and then maybe then you can make ultra processed foods healthier depending on what the what the actual mm. reason is for the um for for it but if you are eating lots of ultra processed foods you might want to rethink it and uh, find a way to you know again it's hard to eliminate it if, if that's your only thing and you, you have no time but find ways to mitigate it a little bit maybe cut it out cut it down to half or cut it down to yeah. a third or whatever the case is my, my thoughts on that are that um, like you said, if you're increasing your amount of processed foods, you're put at a greater risk, which means your chances are you're eating less of like whole foods um, that are minimally processed. Mm. So you could probably argue it's a combination of many things. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that you know, as I as uh, one of my favorite fortune cookies was always the the more ingredients in your food the less food in your ingredients yes that's a good one i love that one so and also uh, you know the it's a common you know a common adage right now but if you can't pronounce what you're eating mm, you might want to think about whether you should be eating it or not except if it's quinoa <laughs> yeah but did you ever see that to, did you ever see that meme pronounce quinoa now they do they used to not <laughs> there's a meme about it uh, nice. what's a meme like on Instagram. Nah, okay. Oh god. <laughs> Sina fire you from the podcast on the spot. No. You, oh, you mean a meme. <laughs> oh, Sorry. That's what it is. oh god. Anyways, so today we did a we had a fabulous interview. Yeah. Can I introduce it was great. Yeah. So um with this inter this interview is a fellow RD, um, someone who I know really well. Um, he's a great guy and he himself has type one diabetes. He specializes in helping people with diabetes, both type 1 and type 2. Um, he's really, really knowledgeable. He has a great following on Instagram. All the information's in the show notes. Um, but yeah, without further ado, this is Ben Zeal. Hey, everyone. We are here with Ben Zeal. How's everything, Ben? Everything is amazing. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing you know very well, I would say. Um, I was down in uh, Florida, and Ryan was in Iceland. And recently, Tony was in Italy, and now we're all back in cold New York. So I guess we're just dealing with that right now. I noticed you have an accent. Where are you from? Um, well, I actually live in Florida right now, oh. but I lived, in North, I lived in North Carolina for four years and picked up some bad habits. <laughs> nice. Where in Florida? Um, I'm in Tampa. Nice, nice. Yeah, I was just down in Cocoa Beach. Oh, okay. I got you. That's yeah. just across. That's just across the other side of the state. Yeah, yeah. The weather was nice. It was really hot, actually. Oh, it's been wonderful. It's been like 80s and amazing. But then you said that other people were in Iceland and, and in Italy. 
So I, I'd rather I'd rather be there right now. Yeah, yeah. So and well, for me, I'd rather be anywhere but New York. So <laughs> I'm actually coming to New York for the first time <laughs> in May. So I'm excited for that. Oh, nice. Well, that's the that's the best time to be here. You know, that's why I picked it. So I won't <laughs> freeze my butt off. Awesome. So uh, Ben is a uh, registered dietitian and he's a certified strength and conditioning coach. Is that correct? Yes, a CSCS. Awesome. So we always start the show by asking about your background in fitness, whether you played sports or whether you saw pumping iron and saying that's what I want to do, uh, or how did how did you how did you get into this this way of life? Well, once upon a time, I played baseball, and I figured, you know what. If I start lifting, it'll get me stronger for baseball. I'll be able to throw harder. I'll be able to be faster. And it will just make me a more desirable prospect to go play in college. And then hopefully, I mean, like every kid, play in the pros. And so I started lifting. I started getting real into that through the early mid part of high school. And then actually got injured really badly because I did too much and then learned about the importance of mobility and flexibility and all of that. And I just, the more I kept learning, the more I got addicted to it. And I started just loving the training aspect. And so by the time I was done with baseball, when I was, I think, 20, 21 or so, I was just ready to go all in on the training side and get as strong and as, um, as strong as possible, as fast as possible, and then just start training other people to do the same thing. And when did you decide that you wanted to make this a career? Um, I decided I wanted to get my CSCS. I think when I was in my junior or senior year of college, I figured, you know what, I'm going to have some time before I go to grad school because I had been originally accepted to do a PhD in nutrition at University of North Carolina. And so I was like, well, I'm going to have eight months to kill. I might as well do something fun and fulfilling. And so I said, I'll just become a CSCS, not knowing what that path entailed, not knowing that it was difficult. I just said, I'm going to do it. And then I did it. Hmm. So what made you want to be a dietitian? I know that that's not the question, but as the dietitian, I'm curious. So nutritionally, um, the more I started learning about the training side, the more I started understanding that the X factor to me seemed to be the nutrition side, because I felt like, okay, you can perform really well under most circumstances, but that last like 20%, I felt like was strictly determined by nutrition and I noticed when I was fueling properly, I was performing way better than the times I wasn't fueling properly. So I started going on these rabbit holes and digging. And then I also have diabetes type one. And so nutrition's always been kind of in the forefront. So I figured, well, why not really find out what's going to be the best nutrition to optimize performance and then what's going to be the best nutrition to optimize my blood sugar. So it just became this whole entangled mess. And then the dietitian side came out of the the PhD experience where I did a couple of years and just said, you know what, I want to deal with people and not just deal with computers the whole time. Right. So then I shifted gears. How old were you when you were di- when you were diagnosed with diabetes? I was seven. Wow. So you were kind of forced to learn how to change your eating habits at a young age. Oh yes. And I, yeah. And seeing all the people now and seeing how people teach diabetes and all that, it's a very, it's, it's, there's a reason I am doing what I'm doing in the world right now. So I guess, so I'm really curious to find out kind of what about um, 
you know, what are where you find are the gaps in knowledge um, when it comes to diabetes? But let's maybe take a step back and can you kind of explain kind of what it is, what diabetes is, and the difference between kind of type one and type two, and maybe if what if any kind of misconceptions there might be um, regard, regarding kind of dealing with diabetes? Absolutely. So diabetes as a whole, I mean, it's very. I guess we could say if that's the case, it's super broad. But it typically is some. Your body needs to make insulin to be able to process carbohydrates. Technically, to process fats and proteins too. We won't get into that. But mainly to process carbs. And so, with someone with type one diabetes, the pancreas, which um, ultimately secretes the insulin, it basically the beta cells in the pancreas that make the insulin destroy themselves. So it's an autoimmune thing. And as a result of that, your body doesn't produce insulin, so you have to get it from an exogenous or an outside source or pretty much you'll end up dying and so back like 100 years ago or so before insulin was invented um getting type 1 diabetes was a life life sentence you had two years that was it but thank god now that there's insulin it's a different story um type 2 is a little bit different because type 2 starts out as mainly there's insulin resistance so your body needs to produce more and more and more insulin and then ultimately with time your pancreas basically burns out so you're producing so much insulin that it ends up, it keeps upping and upping and upping and it can only do so much. It reaches a certain point and then it stops. And then at that point, you'd become dependent on insulin as well. But with type two, because it's a progression, you're able to prevent it from happening. That's why people say they, quote, reverse their diabetes because they were able to make lifestyle changes and dietary changes to be able to stop the progression of the diabetes. So type one, you have it no matter what you do. You could have the cleanest diet work out every day, doesn't matter, you're going to have diabetes. So, uh, question that, that, that sort of seems obvious, with, uh, especially with type 2 diabetes, you always hear that having excess body fat or being overweight or obese can really af- affect that or even cause it. But I- I'm not a, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. I, I-, I don't know why. Like, why does having extra body fat or too much body fat or being overweight. What is that correlation with diabetes? Because you hear it all the time, but I, I, don't, I don't know scientifically what's going on there. So how, how deep do you want me to get? <laughs> go, for, go, go for it. Now, uh, I think most of, most of our listeners are you know, common folk like us. So uh, any way that you could explain it, but we like to go slightly deeper than, you know, than the, than the layman's explanation, but uh, we'll leave it up. You know, you're the expert, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it up to you. <laughs> okay. So with respect to type two, especially, and there, it can happen with type one, but so it starts to that insulin resistance. So basically your body's not processing the insulin as well as it should be. So you're requiring more. And so what fat does having excess body fat is Fat is an active metabolic tissue. So there are things happening, even though it's kind of just hanging around, like it is active. There are things being secreted from it. And there's a kind of hormone secreted from fat cells called adipokines. And what the adipokines can do in someone who is still producing insulin is they can block the insulin signal or kind of impair the insulin signal. So instead of the insulin going right to its directed target, it's ultimately going to end up a little bit off course or it's going to take longer. And so then the body will be like, oh, snap, I need more insulin. So it's going to produce more because it's not getting to its recipient fast enough. So pretty much it just keeps interfering with the signal. There's certain like amino acid target residue things, but that's way beyond what we need to talk about here. But basically it impairs the signal. 
with the excess fat and then the insulin resistance just starts this nasty vicious cycle and just keeps perpetuating and perpetuating and so people get bigger and bigger and it gets worse and worse their pancreas ends up burning out and then they end up on insulin anyway and they're insulin resistant which makes it that much more fun to deal with did that make sense uh <laughs> yes yes it's a, it's interesting and it and it's a lot and I'm, and I'm sure that it can uh go a lot deeper so i guess the the question i guess sort of logical is what does what are the, the symptoms of diabetes like how will it kill you if left unchecked so ultimately whether type 1 or type 2 um blood sugar is running higher so which that can be measured by a marker called a1c or hemoglobin a1c which is typically measured every 3 months in a person with diabetes but that it's it's kind of like an average blood glucose level. And so the higher your A1C is, the more likely you are to get a complication. And so you may not notice it at first necessarily. You may just say, oh, I'm living life. My A1C is an eight. And you might have typical high blood sugar symptoms, which might be you're super thirsty, you're peeing a lot, you're, you're kind of irritable and crabby and kind of moody, you're tired. It's It's not a fun combination. But then what ends up happening is when your blood sugars are that high for that long, there's a lot of um, small like microvascular damage that will happen to your blood vessels, and that will end up causing potentially retinopathy, so you can get blindness, nephropathy, so your kidneys might start to fail, and then neuropathy, which, I mean, your feet and your hands, they might start to get tingly and painful because they're not getting enough of a blood flow to them. So uh, can you tell us a little kind of, kind of here, like kind of glycemic index being an important um kind of thing that that uh, some of diabetes should be aware of when it comes to food can you talk about the importance of glycemic glycemic index and um what you know kind of what people dealing with with diabetes or even if they're kind of insulin sensitive or maybe kind of pre-diabetic what they should be aware of and, and focus on so glycemic index is something where basically and this has been a there's somewhat of a hot topic but it's pretty much how quickly the glucose that you consume appears in your blood and also how quickly it disappears. And that's where the controversy comes. But irrespective, you eat something with carbs in it, your blood sugar is likely to go up. And so the higher the glycemic index, the faster it's going to go up. So for example, if you have something like white rice, your blood sugar might go up super, super quickly versus if you have something like brown rice where there's fiber in it, it's gonna slow the digestion a little bit, it's gonna have a lower glycemic index. Um, why it's important is it's just something to be aware of because with people with type one, if their blood sugars, especially if they're all over the place, they have a higher A1C, they might be newly diagnosed, those types of foods are gonna be things you want to limit or at least limit the portions and be more aware of because your blood sugar may go up really quickly. Um, but on the flip side, technically, it, if you're going to use it for performance benefit, there is a benefit to having high glycemic foods from a post-workout nutrition perspective. I think that might be out of the scope of your question, but that's just a fun fact. Okay, cool. Well, maybe um, we'll, we'll take a little sidebar. How come? Like, What's, what's the reason behind, behind it being um, more effective for uh, sports and athletics? So I'm, I'm sure you've heard the whole mantra of after you work out, you're supposed to have some sort of Usually people say, oh, they, they want some sort of carb source and they typically want the simple carbs because that'll refill the muscle glycogen faster and potentially the liver glycogen faster. And so that would be a situation where, okay, diabetes or not, if you're going to have a simple carb, if you have it immediately after the workout, that's going to be 
that would be the time when your body's most insulin sensitive, your body's most primed to accept the carbs, and ultimately it's going to go towards a good cause of your muscle glycogen rather than spilling over into fat and all the other fun nonsense associated. Yeah. So you talked a little bit um, earlier about kind of food tracking. You know, what's what um, I guess, how should somebody go about tracking their food? Are there specific macros or micronutrients that someone diabetes should be focused on? Is there an approach that you take maybe that's unique? Like where and I guess maybe where is the industry in that as far as that's concerned? Uh, If you can tell us a little bit about food tracking. The industry is that's a loaded question. (laughs) I do things about, I think I do things different than 97% of other dietitians that deal with diabetes out there. Um, how they want you to do it is they want you to have every meal, you're going to have 45 to 75 grams of carbs. You're going to take the same amount of insulin. We're only going to focus on carbs. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And at the end of the day, protein affects your blood sugar, fat affects your blood sugar, carbs affect your blood sugar. So it's a little more complex than just saying, oh, I had 60 grams at this meal. Um, but they, I mean, the old school way, which the the diabetes world still seems to really enjoy for whatever reason is have these like paper food logs and have these like books that you carry around that says, Oh, this has this many calories and this many carbs in it, even though we're in 2019 and there's apps and smartphones and things like that. I don't understand, but that's just, that's just my own personal gripe. But either way, they want you to focus on carbs. I would say if you're gonna if you're gonna track food, I mean obviously you gotta be aware of your carbs with your blood sugar, but at the end of the day, you need to be aware overall of everything. And I would say protein's a focus a lot of people don't pay attention to with respect to it can help stabilize your blood sugar, but it's also just something from a body composition perspective. You guys know as well as anybody, it's critical. And then um from a micro standpoint, I would say my number one micronutrient for people with diabetes would be zinc. And that would be, I think, at least twofold, one being the immune effects it has because people with diabetes are immunocompromised. And because of that, they're more susceptible to getting sick and anything that might be normal sick for them, for a normal person might be like double as bad for someone with diabetes. So zinc will help keep the immune system stronger, but zinc also has beneficial effects on blood sugar. So Ben, can you tell the listeners what food sources include zinc or should they supplement? I personally supplement because I never remember the food sources because I, I, I don't remember from the RD exam. But I know that mm-hmm. there's – I think meat has a lot of zinc in it. Some vegetables have zinc, but it's mainly meat and fish. And yeah, lots of fish is a good source of zinc. Yes. Yeah. And I honestly don't remember the rest because it's been a minute. I think – I want to say some legumes have zinc in it too. Yeah, yeah. I have to, I have to, I have to brush up on that too. But um... – but either way, yeah, I usually tell people to go with the food sources first. But if they're so concentrated on just figuring out their carbohydrates and balanced meals, like it might, this is a situation where it actually might be beneficial to supplement. Although we don't usually go to supplements first, I think think if you have all these other changes, especially if you're newly diagnosed, like there's yep. just so many things to consider. And and of course that that you're not advocating, well, you can eat as many candy bars as, as you want, but if you supplement with zinc, you'll be okay. It doesn't work <laughs> yeah. that way. No, 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 no. Quite the contrary. Although I do think people, if you have diabetes and you want to eat a candy bar, I think you absolutely should eat a candy bar and you shouldn't restrict that. But you need to be smart about it and not eat like 17. You can eat a candy bar every few days or whatever. But be smart about when you eat it. Be smart about how much you're eating. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go back to a little bit where you were talking about with like glycemic index and post-workout. 
I think it's really important if you could just talk about, um, if first of all, I mean, maybe this is like a two-part question, but like how important it is to track your blood sugars to see if you're running high or low or at like, you know, a normal level, like what normal is, what high is, what low is, because um, some people listening might not really know. Um, okay. And so like, should you exercise when your blood sugars are low? Should you exercise when they're high? Like what is appropriate to do in those situations? So the typical answer for what a good blood sugar, and I use good with quotes, mm-hmm. um, blood sugar, like the, the traditional range of the happy range is 80 to 120. Right. I would say me personally, um, an A1C of seven, which is the, the goal for endocrinologists, which are diabetes doctors, they want you under seven, which comes out to about a 154. So I would say if you're in that 80 to 155 range, you're doing pretty good. Um, I would say from an exercise perspective, a lot of people say, well, where should you start your blood sugar? Where should you not? Like your blood sugar can go low from exercise. I would say if you're over 250 to hold off simply because, um, ultimately what ends up happening is as you exercise, of course, you start to dehydrate, you're using up water, you're sweating, all that good stuff. But then with your high blood sugar, you're also trying to get rid of some of that glucose through your urine. So you ultimately are getting super, super dehydrated. So if your blood sugar is that high, you're getting dehydrated from the exercise and from the um, from the blood sugar. And then as a result of that, you can end up with your blood sugar going up instead of the exercise bringing it down. Right. So that's, that's one thing to consider. If your blood sugar is low, I would say if you're under, depending on what your workout is, if you're under like 90 or under 80 for sure, I don't recommend exercising until you've treated it. However, if you're doing something that's like a, like an interval, like a sprint type training where you're doing a quick sprint and then you're stopping and you're doing another one and you're stopping, that might be okay depending on your situation. But most of the time I would say no, just treat it, treat the low with some glucose, wait for your blood sugar to come up and then go exercise. And so do you recommend people keep things like glucose tablets on them? Do you recommend certain foods? Like what would you say would be a good thing to, to eat or have? Um, if say their blood sugar is at like 80 or 90 and their workouts going to be like, uh, they're going for an hour run. Okay. Run. Um, I would say well, with respect to glucose sources, I actually just wrote an article about this for a diabetes site, but you can have glucose tabs if you want. I just know that 95% of people that have diabetes think glucose tabs taste like chalk. Mm. So if you're going to do that, you might as well eat like Skittles or Smarties or something. Yeah. That's that's strictly sugar, not chocolate, because you're getting a bunch of extra stuff with that. Just like a simple sugar candy, Swedish fish, any of those things. Um, but if you like tabs, tabs are fine. If you like glucose gels, those are fine. Gatorade works. Um, juice works. I mean, the the options are plentiful. Mm-hmm. What was the other part of the question? Um, no, I mean that pretty much answered it. But then I guess the follow up question to that is then like when they're done with their workout, should they test again? Yes. Um, if they're not if they're not on a continuous glucose monitor, which will be testing you every five minutes anyway, then I definitely recommend you test before, depending how long your exercise is during, and then for sure after. Yeah. So, sorry guys, I'm like taking over, but oh, I have yeah. a lot of questions. Because <laughs> you mentioned about like, like I know a lot of people don't test their blood sugars because they don't like to prick their fingers, but it sounds like technology is definitely coming out with some some really great things to make it a lot easier. Can you tell us um, any updates on that? 
Sure. So um, in terms of, I guess if we want to, when I was first diagnosed, my first blood sugar meter needed a ton of blood and it took a minute to read it. And now the meters, they take more than five seconds. People get impatient, including me. Mm. And um, I mean, you need way less blood. So the pricking process isn't so bad. But the cool thing is the continuous glucose monitor system. So those, I mean, their Dexcom is the biggest one, but there's a couple other companies. There's one called the Libre from Freestyle. And with those ones, you ultimately have something that's reading under your skin. There's a little like wire subcutaneously, and it's reading your interstitial fluid every five minutes. And it shows up in a graph so you can see what your trend is, if you're going up, if you're going down, if you're stable. And then it can really help you treat in accordance to your trend. So instead of, oh, you're 120, and then suddenly an hour later, you're 250 and have no idea why, you can see the upward trend and correct it before it gets to 250. Hmm. It's really cool. Wow. So uh, about the about exercise, is there a type of exercise that is most effective for helping to manage diabetes? Um, distance cardio or maybe lifting weights and adding muscle? Uh, or does it really not matter as long as you're getting some consistent exercise in? Um, I personally follow that second school of thought with if you're getting exercise, I don't care if you like to run, you're going to run. If you like to lift, you're going to lift. I would like to see a combination simply from, as you guys know, like you don't want to just be a one trick pony. You want to be able to get some um, some lean mass on there just for your metabolic rate. And you don't want to just run and run and run and run and then become a twig unless that's your jam. And if it is, go for it. But I would like to see a hybrid. But ultimately, it's like the exercise affects your blood sugar differently. Like if you're lifting, your blood sugar has the potential to go up, but it could also go down. If you're running, you're likely to drop just as a general trend, but it's whatever workout works for you. I'm fully in support. Is there any, anything or any form of exercise that might be kind of contraindicated or, or that somebody with diabetes should, should get medical clearance before? Um, I mean, if you're going to do any of that crazy action adventure stuff, like you're going to go climb on like a giant, ice cliff or something i mean you might want to talk to the doctor simply because you don't want your insulin to freeze and all that fun stuff but yeah. i otherwise no you're not you're not limited from doing anything with diabetes except for being an astronaut because insulin and space just doesn't go together so far and then i guess um a second thing would be how how about nutrition during exercise so you know what what should um, somebody with diabetes be focused on or aware, or thinking of while they're exercising, should they be constantly hydrating or taking in sugary beverages? Should they avoid it? Like what should, what should their, what should they be focused on when they're exercising when it comes to nutrition? I guess, pre, so I, you know, actually we'll just make it the whole thing. Pre-workout, during the workout, post-workout. So um, pre-workout, I would say, I'd say about 60 to 90 minutes out, I would at least get an idea of what your blood sugar is. That's why the beautiful thing about those CGMs are you'll know. Like you'll just look at your phone or your your little reader thing and it'll tell you, oh, you're 120. But then I would say pre-workout, you're looking at what is your blood sugar? Do you need anything food-wise ahead of time for just performance but also for your blood sugar? Then how much insulin are you going to take? Are you going to dial back? Is the workout more of an aerobic style or is it more of anaerobics where – you're going to end up having your blood sugar potentially go up. So you're going to take the same amount of insulin as normal or a little bit less. Um, or do you even need a snack? Is your blood sugar high and you need to take a little insulin to bring it down? So there's all these factors going in on the pre-workout side. During the workout, I would say it depends on duration. If your workout's less than 75 minutes, you probably don't need anything during it except for just hydrating. Um, but hydrating is crucial for diabetes because as I alluded to before, if your blood sugar is high, 
and or if you're not hydrated, your blood sugar will just go up just from the fact of you're not hydrated. Now, there have been times, me personally and in others, where someone's blood sugar is high and they're taking insulin, taking insulin, taking insulin. They can't get it down. They, the moment they hydrate, it just drops as if nothing happened. It's the craziest thing. Um, but during exercise, if you're doing super endurancey stuff, you might want to consider some of the like the gels, the glucose the like Gatorades, those kind of things. But it's the same you would expect for someone who's doing a two hour like bike race or whatever that without diabetes, mm -hmm. they just need to make sure their blood sugars are staying as consistent as possible post-workout again. I mean, I'm all in favor of those simple carbs. If you're about the carb life, definitely in favor of some form of protein. But if you want to say, Hey, I'm going to go eat dinner. I'm in support of that too. As long as you're eating something within an hour or so, I'm cool with it. Like that 30 minute window of Oh my God, you, you had your post-workout shake 32 minutes after your workouts goes for nothing like that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, very popular is to um, advertise food as, as safe for people with diabetes or people you know, with insulin resistance or whatever. And of course, the... Um, the, uh, the, the prints of these foods are sugar substitutes, and now there are a gadrillion of them. But I've heard that um, even when you eat a sugar substitute, it can trigger the brain and actually fool it into spiking insulin. Is, the, is there any truth to this, or are sugar substitutes uh, a safe and decent way for someone uh, with diabetes to drink their coffee? So... To answer the first part about the will it, the sugar like substitutes cause any sort of insulin in type ones, of course, there won't be any insulin response because sure. there's no insulin to give. In yes. type twos, the research seems a little bit muddled. Some people say yes, some people say no. I mean, if anything, it'll probably fire off some of the the neurons that are involved with like satiety, and that could be the issue. So then they end up eating something associated, and that is where the whether there's weight gain or something else, I think there's another confounder in that pathway as opposed to just simply someone had Splenda and now they're gaining weight or now their insulin's different. Um, but in terms of sugar substitutes in general, I am not an advocate for them at all, um, at least in terms of like sugar-free, if you're referring to like sugar-free type stuff, like, oh, this is a sugar-free candy or sugar-free whatever, just because ultimately what those do is they, I don't know how to say it without being not politically correct, but they give you the shits and you will end up mm -hmm. living on your toilet mm -hmm. and it's pretty unpleasant. So I don't recommend for diabetes or non-diabetes eating things that have sugar alcohol in them or necessarily super loaded with sugar substitutes. They're pretty disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. What about someone who drinks Coca-Cola or any regular sweetened beverage, like sweetened beverage and they are type two diabetic? And they don't want to do seltzer and they don't want to do water, but they would do a Diet Coke. What would you say to that? I mean, I would just limit the consumption, but I don't think it's going to necessarily affect them in a huge way. I would be more concerned given that they're type 2. They're probably not in great control of their other lifestyle factors like their the rest of their diet and everything mm -hmm. else. So I don't think that one Diet Coke is going to be the thing that puts them over the edge for yeah. insulin. So uh, I know someone, uh, he happens to be my dad, that has, <laughs> that has um, type 2 diabetes, and he's a bit older, so he, you know, he, it's, it's a little tougher for him, although that's really just an excuse. Um, 
you know, not to exercise or not to eat well. Um, I have a few questions regarding this. So first off, he takes these medications. So he doesn't take insulin, but he takes these medications and it it makes him miserable. Like he's tired, you know, tired for days. He doesn't feel right. Um, And I know there's like tons of there people. They make billions of dollars off of off of these uh, off of diabetes medication. So I don't know. That might not be I I don't know how much your your knowledge scope is in the medications. But could you do you know anything about that? Could you explain a little bit about what these medications do? Um, depends on the medication. I know some of them. Um, I mean, like I know like things like metformin. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, that one, I know there's ones that are SGLT2 inhibitors, which is kind of a thing that'll help you pee out more glucose as Mm -hmm. opposed to, um, just having it in your body and it requires no, it's just like a pill. It doesn't require any sort of, um, any sort of extra insulin or anything like that. Some of the meds, I'm no expert. I can say that some of them are just mainly, they're mainly insulin sensitizing meds. They're trying okay. to say, okay, your body's making this much insulin. It's clearly not enough because you're insulin resistant or your body needs more than what you're making. So let's just potentiate it and make the effect stronger. So it mm. ends up being enough. Okay. Um, I have, I, depending on the meds, like I have no problems with it. I would say if it's making him feel awful all the time, he probably should assess what he's taking yep. and see what the root is and consider changing it. Cause there are, like you said, so many different varieties. It could just be that particular brand. Um, but I think they have a use and they have a place. It just depends on, depends on the person. Yeah. And if they're not willing to make lifestyle changes, then they have to find the medication that fits best with them for them. I think my father is also a type two diabetic and, you know, sometimes he like watches his diet and exercises and then like sometimes he doesn't, but he doesn't want to take the medicine. And it's, it's scary because it's like, it's yes, the medication has side effects and you don't want to be dependent on it. But if you're not committing to a healthier lifestyle, then, you know, both alternatives are not great. And I'd rather him be, you know, alive and well on medication than potentially ending up in the hospital because his blood sugars went too high. 100%. And I, I think with that, again, like you said, it's the lifestyle. It kind of has to go hand in hand because once you start making those lifestyle changes, especially in a type two, more than likely that either the dose of the meds are going to go down or you're going to end up off of them, period. Mm-hmm. So uh, about that, I think that it's it's easy for someone who's you know 27 years old and maybe they're overweight and maybe they've just been diagnosed with um, you know type 2 diabetes to change their lifestyle. But for someone who's significantly older, doesn't have the, you know, the potential for the same energy, is stuck in their ways, um, and, all, and all of that, what are some sort of uh, Ryan and I call it uh, day zero, like before you start out a, a workout or diet plan, what are some sort of day zero and early steps just to get you on the right path? Because I feel for for a lot of people, just like with, with, really with anything, that starting a new life, you know, starting a lifestyle change can be so daunting and overwhelming that you just give up on it. So what are some good steps, you know, day zero and beginning steps to get yourself on the on the right path? Um, I would say, especially for a population that's a little bit older, I would just emphasize, if anything, just taking very, very, very small steps. And I mean, even if that's just saying, hey, for example, let's say they eat some sort of really sugar laden cereal every morning, like let's swap out the cereal for something else and just start with one little thing. And just try to maybe even just making a list of identifying like, okay, these are the 15 things that I want to change. And then maybe each week committing to one different thing. 
Because then otherwise, if you overload them and try to say, hey, you need to overhaul your whole life and you've been living this way for 40 years and now you have to change it all, then they're just going to say, the heck with it. I'm not I'm not going to bother. It's like most behavior change. <laughs> exactly what it is. But I mean, the same time, with any, with any, whether older adult, younger adult, whatever it is, I would just say small, small little incremental things. But I would say assessing in their diet where they may be having things that aren't necessarily serving them. And I'm not saying to get rid of all of it, but I'm saying, okay, let's get rid of one thing or let's swap out one thing for another, or let's start adding a really small amount of exercise, something that seems really sustainable that then they can build on. But I mean, like, like Tony said, it's anything behavior change. Cool. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit, uh, sticking with nutrition, but just more in a general sense, like where do you see the industry now? Um, you know, as compared to where maybe it was a few years ago, do you, you know, like, do you see the kind of I, – I feel like there's just so much out there um, and uh, so much noise that it's kind of hard to kind of sift through it and we find ourselves kind of fighting through it. Like where do you see the industry now and kind of what would you recommend to somebody who just in general wants to, you know, wants to figure out this nutrition thing but they just don't know where to start? And are you referring to the industry just, as nutrition as a whole or diabetes? As a whole. No, as a whole. Yeah. So just looking at it as a, as a whole, as an industry. Just always interested in hearing from different different dietitians, like their perspective on that. I mean, I feel like the biggest thing, if I – so you're saying what I would suggest to someone who wants to like sift through it and not yeah. – and know the right stuff. I would yeah. say – you're going to you're going to get conflicting viewpoints depending on your school of thought and i think you just have to you have to keep a very open mind but also don't be too open like you have to know okay this is might be what the textbook's saying but then at the same time the textbook technically could be wrong or i might think something and i might say hey this is how to deal with diabetes nutrition someone else might say the complete opposite but then you have to be able it's it's like you said there's so much noise there's so many people there's so many different angles of everything and everyone says they're an expert and you're like oh god where do i go so i really think if people are research backed and they're based on what's coming out in the publications i'd say that's a really good spot to start um but then as, as opposed to anyone to saying oh well this diet where you eat these four foods is going to work on everything if there's no research behind it or check the source of the research if the research is from that company then it's probably not a great source but i would say Starting point, start with the journals, start with the, the non-glamorous stuff, because then you build up your base and you can say, okay, what's BS and what's not. And then you also get good at reading papers. And then that was, that's a skill. If I could say anything I pulled from that two years of PhD life was that I can read papers and know who's BS and who's not. So that's where I would, that's where I would have somebody begin. But everything that seems too good to be true probably is too good mm -hmm. to be true. And yeah. just because someone says something in a class setting, like, my God, I could, Oof, I, I won't I won't go into my thoughts on the RD education, but if <laughs> I could, if I could, I would just say that a lot of it's not correct. <laughs> and people don't think out of the box and they just get fed this thing and that's all they think and they think it cannot be any different than that. And it, oh, my God, it drives me crazy. <laughs> of course, we know as uh, more research is done and as we evolve, we, we learn new things. So, you know, of course. old ways of thinking have to change eventually. So I, I have a completely unrelated question for you just uh, out of my own curiosity. Do you, sure. do you enjoy modern baseball? Like the, the all home run, all strikeout, completely statistics, analytic driven, seemingly, you know, the manager is just there to, to be a figurehead and it's that the money ball system. Like, do you find it more the game's more exciting than they used to be? 
Um, well, I mean, you have to remember I live in Tampa where they introduced the concept of the opener last year where the guy goes one inning instead of a starter going six. Yeah, yeah. And um, the whole, yeah, the p- changing pictures. And now I think they want to add the, where now the pitcher has to stay in for three batters or something batter, like that. Yeah. I, I saw that yesterday. Um, I I think it's – I don't know. I think – I don't love it as relative to – I mean, maybe it's my own nostalgia from the early 2000s. I felt like, okay, that was after steroids, but at the same time it was still – pretty pure if that makes any sense but just from a game perspective but i don't in terms of the game itself i feel like the commercializedness hasn't helped anything but i also think that the analytics are making it more interesting there's Mm -hmm. a lot less oh this is what this guy said on the scouting report and that's what's going to happen i like the combination of the analytics and the other stuff i just don't necessarily love how it becomes over statistics yeah. after a while, if that makes any sense. Oh, Too much numbers. Well, I remember watching uh, one of the playoff games. Uh, I think it was on ESPN. And s- straight up, there was a statistic ev- on, on, on that was flashing across the stre- screen every two seconds. And on top of that, the announcers wouldn't shut the fuck up. And I'm like, I'm here to <laughs> – and I'm like – it's like I, 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 it's like I'm here to watch the game. I don't care about what you have to say, and I don't care about all these statistics. I want to watch the game, and I, I had, to, I couldn't enjoy it. So I don't know if you've had a similar experience. Oh well, first of all, any game with Joe Buck makes me want to, makes me want to mute the TV no matter what. So he drives me crazy. But either way, I feel like everything is overly statistic. Like there's too much numbers, and they always want to bring up shit that doesn't matter. So it's like okay. In odd-numbered months on the second week, this batter's hitting 415. Okay, no one cares. Like, you can't apply that to anything. But I feel like they, have to, they feel like they have to fill up this time. But in addition to that, I think the other thing you mentioned before was strikeouts or home runs. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the super strikeouts and the pitchers. The pitching's coming back. But what I, I wish is when I was coming up, I wish that no one cared about strikeouts because that was a huge deal when I was playing. And they were like, oh you strike out it's like the end of the world so i used to think it was terrible and now people strike out 250 times a season so me personally i I would have loved that back in the day but i i think there's too many numbers and they're trying to make it more complicated than it is and i think that's why they're driving away a lot of the the younger fan base because they don't care as much about numbers they want to see the fun stuff happening yeah yeah yeah, I think I think part of it, I, the part was like the kind of Moneyball era, and I also think you know the growth of fantasy baseball. We got yeah. all so like hyper focused on stats that it, it just went, it kind of just went fo- fully in a direction that it didn't need to go to. And yeah, it's like a lot of it's kind of like it's interesting. Like looking at that, you talked about like re- looking at studies and kind of one of the interesting things that you know, like a bad study will reek of like p hacking. And I was just thinking, you know, it's a lot of p hacking kind of going on when dealing with baseball if you're looking at like this guy's stat you know you're kind of reaching to find oh this guy's stats on tuesdays yeah tuesdays in april he he hits you know 186 it's like just doesn't make any sense it's just it's just it's random and they're trying to make it important and i feel like so many people nutritionally baseball wise all that is just it seems like people try to do that whether they want to feel important or whether they just want to be like oh this is a very significant thing or we found an association it's like you can find an association on anything if you look hard enough, but the question is, does it actually mean anything? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the first study I actually ever ever conducted doing research on my own was um, when I was at University of Tampa, an undergrad. I actually did a study that was observational that was based on baseball stuff, which was interesting. Um, and then I ended up shifting. I did exercise 
research and then I went into the nutrition side of it. So, I mean, I've seen all of it, but the baseball research is, oh my God, the stuff these days, I'm like these, these statistics stuff. I'm just like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. So complicated. <laughs> all right. Well, Ben, you're awesome. And you're a, you're a great speaker. I, you know, I've, I've said this for maybe only a couple guests, but it almost sound like, um, and I know this happened recently too, but you're, you're also a great candidate. Have you ever considered having your own podcast? No, I, this is the first podcast I've ever been on in my oh, life. Wow, because you you speak very well and you're you're concise. And um, I think what we were all appreciating is that while what you were talking about was is very technical uh, and often complicated, uh, you broke it down and you didn't talk for twenty five minutes on one question, which <laughs> <laughs> which sometimes is it can be entertaining. But for something like this, I thought you broke it down very concisely and you did a great job. We really appreciate you coming on the gym wits. Oh, absolutely. I'm just glad I was here. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I mean, I'm hopefully able to do another one with y'all sometime soon. Oh yeah. You're certainly welcome anytime. Now, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at man of zeal. So M A N O F T Z E E L. And eventually at, um, your diabetes Awesome. Great. Thank you, Ben. So that was a great interview, right, guys? Yeah, no, Ben, it's great. And uh, it's, it's funny because I even mentioned it during the interview, right? What, what, what drives uh, us crazy is when someone will ramble on and on and on, and you just get the sense that they loved hearing their own voice. But Ben <laughs> wasn't like that at all. It's like no. He was like com- concise, and I thought that it was, it was pretty easy stuff for a layman to understand yeah and diabetes is quite complicated so it's good that he put it in simpler terms i definitely want to make a point for anybody who's listening that if you're considering or you're thinking that maybe your blood sugars are elevated or you might be pre-diabetic or maybe you're told to watch your blood sugars um, or maybe you have no idea what your hemoglobin a1c level is Go get your blood work done. It's better to know. Unfortunately, the symptoms of diabetes don't come until your blood sugars are at a very high level and it's been uncontrolled for a while. So don't let it get to that point. You actually can live a healthy lifestyle and you can prevent getting diabetes. You can um, reverse diabetes if it's type 2 um, and type 1 is manageable. Um, but definitely get get your blood work done. Uh, talk with your physician, meet with a, a registered dietitian. It's definitely a team effort in controlling that. So I just want to make sure that people are aware that um, if they know their numbers, it's they're going to be in a better place. Cool. I have nothing to add today. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes like, an interview is, is just like that. It's like, yeah, well, that was great. And yeah. there's nothing else to say. All right. I feel like that. Yeah, that's uh, as I'm as I'm uh, I'm a culprit of what I'm about to. Mention. As you're gonna go ramble. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel that um, people in in I actually even talked about it during uh, when we discussed the watching a baseball production. People f- always feel the need to speak and comment on everything. As I once again, <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now, right? So <laughs> uh, sometimes you don't have to. Sometimes you can just let the game speak for itself or let the interview speak for itself. So I'm just going to end it at that. Because <laughs> I thought it was a great interview. And yeah, I'm going to go actually back and re-listen to it. Cool. Uh, um, yeah, and again, I'm at a lot. Today's a weird day. I'm like, I don't have much to say. Um, I don't know why. Tired, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, it's still Are jet-lagged. you still jet lagged? No, I'm, uh, not really. Yeah, no, not very, not like... I uh, got it was a short trip, so how, I actually how never. How was your weird ammonia fish? Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't mention that. Yeah, so I tried the the hakal, I think it's called. That's the the 
fermented shark, um, which apparently is just a touristy thing. Like they don't eat that there or they if it's like they eat it like once a year for some traditional thing. So it's totally like a tourist trap thing. But I still like I had mentally prepared for it. So I had to try it. Um, basically, it's like they give you these cubes. It's, it's not not a lot. And they give you a shot of vodka. Um, you eat it with like a toothpick. And so the first few bites of it were like, oh, this is fine. It just tastes like a meaty fish. And then after about three or four seconds of chewing, there's a blast of ammonia. Like someone just just Ew. poured like a shot glass of ammonia in my throat. Um, and then you need the 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 vodka to so sh- to, to wash it down. So that was pretty gross, but but worth it. Oh, and the other place I went, the Phallic Museum. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> it was another tourist trap, kind of. But it was it, it just it was just I saw that just there. animal penises. Like if you just wanted to ever go to a uh, only, it was if every, you ever wanted to see like summer. every animal's penis in the world, that's the place <laughs> to go. They're just everywhere. <laughs> we should have ended it like five See, minutes ago yeah. <laughs> exactly you got now you got me talking on everything you <laughs> so, had nothing so, right, to that say. was your favorite part of the trip yeah yeah seeing the there was a there was a uh this <laughs> display of like some soccer team i guess they all got molds of their uh, of their junk so like there was just like 50 like molds of different i forget if it was like bronze or brass or something like molds of, of actual people's penises um but yeah it's just all kind of humans animals you know what i would much um, prefer it was just yeah what a vagina museum. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like nothing wrong with a penis museum if that's what you're into, but for me personally, <laughs> vagina museum. Why doesn't one exist? Well, look, the the point of this museum is not to get your rocks off. So, I, look, it's, yeah. either one would be interesting. I don't know which one would be preferable. <laughs> I'm telling you my preference. Okay, that's good to know. Not that there's anything wrong with the other. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. See, this is what happens. <laughs> yeah. We should have ended. <laughs> I'm actually shocked you didn't go to that museum in, in, uh, in Ricky. I'm shocked I. I... All right, see what I'm saying? <laughs> what? I, I, I'm, I was trying to come up with something witty. I was like, I'm shocked that I did go, but then I didn't go because I had no interest in going. You really had no interest in going? I mean, I saw it from the outside. Yeah, I guess so, enough. too. It was like, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Like, you walk in, it's a basically like three or four rooms where they just it's like i mean it's kind of gross because it's like a bunch of like they're in like vats of whatever why are we still talking about that? i don't know <laughs> that's a good question all right all right this is yeah we, we comment this tony is a train wreck. i think we should end this yeah i think it's time. <laughs> this is what happens going on too long if if, if i didn't feel bad like not you know because we like to title it based on the person we'd, we'd title it something about the penis museum but we can't do that since you there's an could. actual good content beyond this ending but yeah but that but it's like one of those things where you tag something with a with a clickbait f- phrase and um then you put on uh then you have the real good content there i don't think uh you know tales from the penis museum is going to be clickbaity enough for us to, to do that. i think it's very clickbait <laughs> that, that would be pretty funny if we do title it we all do the subtitle like <laughs> 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 Diabetes and tales from the <laughs> tale, right. yeah, tales from the penis. Yeah, museum. diabetes, tales from the penis museum, museum, and ammonia sharks. And ammonia How could sharks. anyone resist? Yeah, true. Okay, maybe we'll do that. All right. Anyway, uh, as usual, have any stuff ammonia is ammonia shark penis? Huh? No, but I did see a shark penis. Like they had, they okay. had a shark penis at the penis museum. So. <laughs> You might need to. I think you'd have to cut some of this because this oh, is going no. on way too long. None of it's getting <laughs> circumcised. So.
please, let's end this. You went. Is there a video? Oh, listener. Okay, uh, okay, all of our yeah, stuff is yeah, at, at thegymwits.com. Yeah. And if you want to follow me on Tips with Tony, you can do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, a registered dietitian, helping you get healthy one bite at a time. And we are the Gym <laughs>